KD, Harden, Kyrie, the new big three in town takes the floor together for the first time Wednesday night. How will they mesh? And will anybody be able to stop the Nets? Is it title or bust in Brooklyn? Plus, we'll go back to Kerry's days and chat with his old Nets teammate, Kendall Gill. All that and Kerry's Chronicles next on Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. The New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. Welcome to Full Court on Flatbush. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, former Nets great, Kerry Kittles. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Kerry underscore Kittles 30 and at Robin Lundberg. New episodes of the show come out Wednesday afternoons, and Kerry's former teammate, Kendall Gill, joins us a little later in the show. We'll also have a new edition of Kerry's Chronicles. But before we get to that, Kerry, you have the time? Uh, yeah, it's 1 o'clock. Oh, no, no, no. It's actually uh, almost scary hours. You, 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 have that, you have that wrong. It's almost scary hours. Are you, are you looking forward to a little bit of scary hours in Brooklyn? I, I, I really am. I'm looking forward to watching this trio play. I mean, it's as I said last week, you know, I'm getting my popcorn ready. And we, we, we know that, you know, you have two of the most prolific scorers in KD and, and Harden. Then you throw in Kyrie, who's, I mean, he's a, a, a close 1A as far as scoring ability. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch. You know, let's get to Kyrie in a second. But first, you know, last week we were reacting to the Harden trade, right, and trying to digest it. Now we've seen James Harden play for the Brooklyn Nets. And one thing I've noticed, well, a couple things. He seems happy. That's a good thing. Also, you know, there's been this knock on Harden's playing style over the years. But watching him, and it's not my, like, fandom coming out of it, he's fun to watch. And I think people undersold. I mean, I knew about it. But part of that was him being such the offensive engine uh, of the Rockets. But I, I think it was understood how good a point guard he is, a distributor for the rest of the team. Yeah, I mean, I think he's playing like the Harden player we saw when it first arrived in Houston, right, where he was really a playmaker. He wasn't looking to score 35 points a game. He was looking to score close to 30. But he was also getting everyone else involved. And so now, as I said last week, he's coming over to Brooklyn. So he has to make the adjustment to what the Nets are going to require from him as a player. And, you know, he has always had all the tools to play the game the right way. I couldn't stand watching him play the last few seasons in Houston. I literally would turn off the games whenever I saw Harden on the court because every single possession, he just dribbled the air out the ball and stepped these step side step threes every possession because I guess he figured he didn't have anybody to play with besides what Chris Paul and, and Westbrook. And now he's playing with KD, a prolific you know, Hall of Fame, you know, whatever player. And and obviously the addition of Kyrie this week, we'll see how he continues to play. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I was really thrilled to see him get everyone else involved, 13, 14 assists in the game. I mean, he's an unstoppable one-on-one player. We already know that. 
and just can't wait to see how he meshes with Kyrie. Yeah, I also thought his lack of defense was exaggerated a little bit because of YouTube clips and like isolated plays. He does things like get to loose balls and the like, but Kevin Durant is shooting 54% from the floor, almost you know 48% from three right now, scoring like 31 points a, a, a game. When you put those two together, and, and this stood out to me against the, the the Bucks, which I thought was maybe the best NBA game this season, Giannis Antetokounmpo has won the MVP in, in back-to-back seasons. I think both Kevin Durant and James Harden are better th- than he is. I, I think the, the Nets have the two of the three best players in the league possibly right now. Oh, yes, no doubt about it. I think those two players are – because of the way they impact the game on the offensive end of the court. And and listen, Giannis is definitely a great talent. He's, you know, he's MVP. He's a great. But these guys are consistently making threes. And today's game really highlights that ability. I went back and I looked at some stats, right? My first year in the NBA in 1996, teams were taking like 17 threes a game. That was because the NBA line at that time was moved in. A couple of years later in 2000, teams were only averaging 12, 13 threes a game. Now these teams are averaging 34, 35 threes a game attempts. And Giannis is taking maybe one or two. These guys, Kyrie, KD, and and Harden, they can make threes in their sleep off the dribble contested. It doesn't matter. That's a huge asset to today's game. And Giannis has yet to develop that three. And I would have to agree with you that those two players, Harden and and, and KD, are definitely more effective offensively. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to Giannis, he's more of a big man. But I think you have to be able to create your own shot to be in that that conversation, you know, with the the very top guys. And that's the one thing, you know, Chris Middleton's kind of the closer for the Bucs. But the the next level here is you have that foundation of KD and and Harden. And and we got into this a little bit last week, but I think – one thing that does is lessen Kyrie's leverage in the whole situation because he's no longer an absolute necessity. If Kyrie was gone before, this team falls apart. Now that isn't the case. So what, what you're hoping is you get Kyrie Irving, the, the brilliant basketball player, uh, on the court. Do you think that the, the issue you know, with reintegrating Kyrie is more about the on-court play or, or, or everything else that, that's going on right now? No, it is definitely off the court. I mean, because remember, he left he left the day before the uh, the events that happened at the Capitol, and so and he just vanished, right? So it had nothing to do with the game the night before. It was just something to do with what transpired off the court. And I think, you know, this time away, I think Kyrie's had some time to reflect on on the things that really, you know, really needed him to take this break, but also too for him just clearing his mind and figuring out what's the best plan for it. And I love his comments yesterday when he said that he's. You know, he's seeking out mentors and counsel from other former players and, and people within the NBA. And I think that's the to me, that was the greatest thing to hear from him is that, you know, he understands now that when you become overwhelmed and stressed with, with what's going on, there's people out there that really care about you. And it's a matter of you just taking that initial step, which he's been doing. Yeah, uh, there are people that speculated it was the capital events that led to his absence. He said, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on personally with his family, you know, I, and, and I don't want to read too much into it uh, because you have people being body language scientists all of a sudden but is you know is there any concern just uh, about where he's at you know that that head nod thing you know when they asked him are you okay mentally and everything like that and and he didn't answer it you know vocally even he just kind of did that the head nod yeah yeah I mean listen if you watch the interview it it was concerning right you know the 
how he was just the body language, like you say, his arms are crossed and he's sitting really close to the screen. It's just the energy that came out and the words that he used. He, he kind of a little bit in some ways talked around the, 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 the elephant that's in the room, which is sort of like the mental health aspect of playing basketball right at this level and the expectations that come along with it. So clearly there's some concern there. And I think the organization recognizes that. And Kyrie, I think, recognizes it as well. He he sort of was acknowledging himself, right? I needed to really take a look at them myself. And it's a two-way street, he said, with communicating and things like that. So hopefully he's in a much better place. On the court, do you think this is now more, you know, an off-the-ball Kyrie? Is that the the adjustment that, that happens with, with, you know, I think you could play one of these guys every minute of the game if need be, and there's plenty of possessions to go around. But do you, do you see Harden as more the lead guard? I don't know. In today's game, the ball moves so much. I think everyone touches the ball. Everyone has opportunities to either create a shot for yourself or to drive and kick to someone else. So I don't I don't really think it's it's a matter of who's handling the ball. I, I think they'll all get their shots up. There's, there's plenty enough shots to go around, trust me. And I think those three guys will definitely take the bulk of those shots. We saw in Miami, right, when LeBron and Chris Bosh joined up with Wade, they, had to, they took the bulk of the shots every night. Look at the stat sheet. Those three guys took 85% of the shots. It's going to be the same in Brooklyn. There will be some adjustments that have to be made over time, but I think they'll all have the ball. They'll all pick and choose when it's time to go at, go at guys and, and to be aggressive. And you know what's scary, guys, and I, I watched it on Monday, is with Kyrie, I mean, they're already must-watch with just Katie and Harden. They will have, if Jeff Green starts, five guys who could shoot the three, including Jeff, you know, Jeff Green was nailing threes on Monday. That's a scary thought that teams are going to have to guard the perimeter with these guys. I cannot wait. That game Monday was thrilling basketball. It's a series you're expecting to see in the Eastern Conference Finals, potentially with Nets Bucks. That game was thrilling every single possession. The leads were changing, going back and forth. And now with Kyrie in the picture and all these shooters, I mean, it is scary hours indeed in Brooklyn. Well, I mean, to the, the scary hours thing, I, I've noticed a lot of Lakers fans online who are all of a sudden taking shots at the Nets or trying to pick apart the, the, the Nets a little bit. And to me, that's an insight to what everybody kind of knows, Kerry, right? Like <laughs> that this team, it, there's no, you know, barring like some sort of crazy drama, there, there's no stopping them. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, <laughs> just all right, be, before Harden came over, Kyrie and KD were averaging over 50 points to get combined. Now you're adding another guy who can score 25, 30 in his sleep. I mean, if you're the opponents, I mean, you saw what the Bucks were dealing with without Kyrie. Now, right, instead of having to drive and kick and swing it to Bruce Brown, who, by the way, has been playing really well, you're swinging it to Kyrie. Or <laughs> instead of driving, kicking and swinging it to TLC, you're driving and swinging it to Kyrie Irving, who is dynamic as they come. I think that it's definitely going to be scary to see how teams are going to try to adjust to the depth that the Nets have right now well I have superstar depth the, the rest of the team let me let me play the other position for a second because you see a team like the Lakers and you know they've gone and they've proven and they've done it they play championship level defense they've got LeBron James Anthony Davis obviously the Nets we, we haven't seen that over the course of a, a season or, or or through the playoffs the the center position uh, apparently they they got DeAndre Jordan in that trade because he's played he's played a lot better since that all went down but the the center position and, and the defense as a whole, where are you at there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, right? We know that the Nets still have some ways to go with their roster, right? I think there's still three spots available. They, they definitely need another bid because DeAndre Jordan is not going to play 38 minutes the way he played the other night against against the Bucks. So they'll fill those spots. They'll bring in a couple other role players to help them out. 
But, I mean, they have all the energy guys. Like you said before, they have the blue-collar guys, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown. They're blue-collar. TLC, he's gritty. He'll get in that mix up. You have the shooting with Harris, obviously. And those other three guys, they're going to do the bulk of the work. I mean, on, on a night-to-night basis, you're going to see those three guys control the game for, for, for the Nets. And if you're Steve Nash now, I mean, you can't eat popcorn on the bench, but <laughs> would he cross his hands behind his head at a certain point? Because, <laughs> you know, they're going to be just dominating teams with their ability to score and just pick teams apart. You know, it's an interesting uh, guy in this whole dynamic is Mike D'Antoni too, right? Yes, yes. He has a history with, with Harden. I mean, you know, he's probably one of the main reasons why Harden came over, right? Like, can is he coachable? Will he change his game and fit into what the Nets already have? Is he a buy-in player? He's been, you know, he's an established guy in the league now. He needs the ball. He takes all these shots. And Dan Tom was like, no, trust me, he's fine. Pump the brakes. He can play better defense than what you guys have seen. And so it's fun now to, to, to watch how it's all going to come together. And you guys mentioned the center position. Don't forget, for the second half of the season, Nick Claxton probably will be back. He's 6'11". He gives you depth. He's young. Uh, not proven, but he gives you some depth. Perry is there as well. So while they will sign someone, like you guys said, maybe a guy like Kenneth Fareed, who is out there, who's with the Nets in the past, they do have Nick Claxton down the pipeline coming back from an injury. Yeah, it's hard to project who's going to actually be available. You know, like a, a name like JaVale McGee may become a, a available given that Cleveland now has a, a glut of, of big men, right? Like it, it's hard. You're, you're talking about buyout candidates. You're talking about shrewd trades that Sean Marks has to make. But, I mean, let's be honest about it, right? Like, the, the whole reason everybody has this reaction is that it, it's Kevin Durant, James Harden, and, and Kyrie Irving at, at the top. You know, and how much do you think the other players in the league, carry think about that or, or have a reaction to that? Like, when you're the Philadelphia 76ers or you're the Milwaukee Bucks or you're the Boston Celtics or you're one of these teams and you see that go down, what's going through your head? You're not really concerned about it too much. As most guys in the league, most teams in the league, they don't really care about teams like coming together like that they want to play against those teams first get on the court and compete against them and until you do that right like the bucks got a chance to experience it <laughs> not with Kyrie, but with those other two guys with harden so they kind of got a chance to see it. we will see soon when they play against miami hopefully all, all three guys are in the lineup so until you get a chance to play against those guys and see what they're all about how they how their chemistry forms and develops over time. It, it's just it's just media stuff. Who who do you lead? You can't double everybody, right? Like who who who's the guy? Who's the, who's the one that that's getting the the third look from the defenders? Drew Holiday's not on. No, I mean those three guys, right? You you throw in Harris, and I mean the fifth player doesn't really matter at that point. It's just like you said, who you're gonna leave. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's shot creation too. That's the other thing about it. I mean, it's it's like um, break glass in case of emergency. Every single one of those guys is a player like that. And that's fun. That's fun because obviously we see a lot of this driving kick game, right? And we saw um, I forgot what team they played recently where it was drop kick and they stayed home on shooters. And now you have guys that can't create off the dribble. It's a different game now when you have these three guys out there. Where you swing it to them. The three isn't open, but now they're gonna break you down off the dribble. That's a scary look. Championship or bust this season? It's the first year. I I, I wouldn't say bust the first year because there's so many things you have to work out throughout the season. But you want to see them at least make the conference finals with a chance, you know, a competitive conference final series for sure. That would be a bust if that doesn't happen. But championships are really tough to win when you first come together. I mean, 
That's tough to say. You got, you got to make the finals. No, Robin, he's wrong. Kerry, you're wrong here. You got to make the NBA finals. Enough East. Beat the Bucks. Giannis, they're, Giannis they're, they're letting him, they're guarding him 30 feet away. They're letting him shoot wherever he wants. You got to beat the Bucks and win the East, Robin. Oh, I, yeah, I was going to go that way I, in, in less uh, disarray than you, but I was going to go that way as far as the NBA finals to me, anything short of that's probably not a success. Look, look I'm a, I'm a reasonable, rational person. So I don't love to work from result backwards, like, cause we have to see what happens before you, you actually get to said result. And it's about a window of opportunity because you don't win the championship now. Well, you're going to have next year to possibly win the championship and hopefully the year after that to possibly win the championship and hopefully the year after that to possibly win the championship and hopefully the year after that to possibly win the championship. You're talking about like a dynasty, a New York sports basketball kind of dynasty. That's world order. That's world order. (laughs) Oh yeah. You you remember that in pro wrestling at all, Kerry, you know, like it was uh, Hogan who was the third man and joined the the team. So in in that uh, analogy, Harden would be Hogan though. You could argue, obviously KD's the big guy. So he's Hogan and, and the outsiders are the backcourt in in Kyrie and and Harden. But I love the, the Nets world order NWO theme. I think they should run with it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool to see. I mean, like, uh, listen, to bring in these three guys in their prime, we haven't seen it too many too many times in the NBA, right? Like, three superstar players in their prime on the stage. Two of the best scorers in the entire league together on the court playing 30 minutes a night. That is going to be fun to watch. Let's talk about expectations after the trade deadline because, you know, listen, Philadelphia was in the mix for Harden. I mean, Miami may not be sitting around either on their hands. Like, Let's discuss this after the trading deadline, and then we can say whether the, the Nets should come out of the East and, and, and go to the finals. All right, fine, Kerry, fine. Uh, ruining all what... the fun. He's ruining all the fun. I don't like it. <laughs> can you tell me what time it is? <laughs> scary <laughs> hours. There we go. Scary, scary, hours. scary hours indeed. All right. <laughs> that, that's it for the scary hours. Next, we've got Kerry's Chronicles on Full Court on Flatbush. It's time for another edition of Kerry's Chronicles. And Kerry, you know, Air Jordans were a bit of a meme today or, or were spread around the internet because I believe it was the husband to Kamala Harris's niece who was wearing Air Jordan Dior 1s. And a little bit later, we're going to have Kendall Gill on. And, and you and, and, and he both covered Michael Jordan, played against Michael Jordan as, as members of the New Jersey Nets. But I, I know from those days, you have a story about some Jordan sneakers. Yes, I do. And it's funny because a lot of people always say that, did, did Michael Jordan ever talk trash on the court? And I'm like, no, Michael Jordan didn't say anything out there. But what he did do and what he's always known for is to back up anyone else that talked trash to him. And so my first year in the NBA, we had we made a big trade and we brought in Jimmy Jackson from Dallas. And we're playing the Bulls in Chicago. And of course, you know, as a young player in the league, I wanted to see another established wing player like Jimmy Jackson. Obviously, I got to watch Kendall play against him, but I wanted to see Jimmy Jackson go head to head against Michael. And so that was a, an interesting moment for a young player. And so anyway, Jimmy Jackson has this great game going against Michael in the first couple quarters. And uh, and he's yapping at Michael. He's talking trash to Michael Jordan. I'm sitting there like, wow, this guy is talking trash to Michael. He's got guts. And we had a guy on our, on our team named Jack Haley who had played with the Bulls on, on their championship team the year before. And so Jack was yelling from the bench at Michael during the game as Jimmy is giving him buckets. And he's like, you can't guard Jimmy, Michael. And he's just, he's egging Michael on. And I'm sitting there like, this is not going to end well. And uh, sure enough, second half starts. Jordan just like 
slowly gets a rhythm going in the game. He starts making shots, and he's starting to lock down on Jimmy Jackson. And then at some point, they, they foul Michael Jordan uh, right in front of our bench. And Jack is yelling at Michael. He's talking, and Michael looks over at him, and he goes, tell him to take off my sneakers. And we look over at Jimmy Jackson, and Jimmy's wearing Jordans. And we're sitting there like, oh, my gosh, you're talking trash to Michael Jordan, and you're wearing his sneakers? That's gutsy. <laughs> and, of course, after that happened, Jordan just goes ballistic in the fourth quarter and just destroys him. <laughs> and and he's just shaking his head the whole time like, I told you, just shut up. Leave me alone. It's a little bit like when Lil Wayne was taking subliminal shots at Jay-Z despite having Jay-Z lyrics tattooed on him. Exactly. You never do that. You never do that. Lesson learned. We're joined now by former Nets swingman from 1996 to 2001, longtime NBA vet, current NBC Sports Chicago Bulls analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at KendallG13 and on Instagram at official Kendall Gill. It is Kendall Gill. And, and Kendall, you know, uh, you, you talk about the, the Chicago Bulls, obviously, in, in the 90s. They were the marquee team in the league. The Nets now on a national stage are maybe the most or probably the most talked about team in the league. And I think it's actually good for the NBA that a marquee franchise is in that East Coast time zone with the, the public interest. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you, you know, going back to the old days of where, you know, you would have the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers out uh, west. And, you know, it seems like the same thing is happening, except for it's, it's happening in Brooklyn right now. And uh, I think it's great for the league. Because you have this anticipation that, that the Brooklyn Nets are coming out of the East. You have the anticipation that the Lakers are going to come out of the West. The same way it used to be when I was a kid, when you thought Larry was going to face Magic every year. So, you know, I'm glad to see that because, you know, quite frankly, the past, well, I don't know, 10 years maybe, we, we haven't had that type of rivalry. But it seems like now that KD and Kyrie and James Harden now have hooked up with New Jersey that this is definitely possible. Well, you're speaking about the Nets, and in particular, you talk about the the big three now, right, the, with the addition of, of James Harden to uh, Kyrie and KD. What are your thoughts on that combination with, you know, these three prolific scorers? Everyone's talking about, you know, shots. Are, are there enough balls for these guys? Who's going to take the last shot? What are your thoughts on these three guys coming together from a chemistry standpoint? Well, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be a transition period, but the one important thing is that KD has already been through this when he was with Golden State. You know, he had to deal sharing the basketball with Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, he he can he can assimilate. It's whether James Harden or Kyrie can. I mean, Kyrie is ne- he's he played with LeBron James in Cleveland, but he's never played with two superstars, and that's where the conundrum for Steve Nash is going to come in. I think what they're going to have to do, they're going to have to they'll they'll all three start, of course, and they'll all three finish the game. But I think throughout the game you're going to have to stagger. One of them is going to have to be on the court at all times. And, you know, you're going to have to – because James needs the basketball in order to be effective. Kyrie needs the basketball in order to be effective. They're both tremendous one-on-one players. The one guy that doesn't really need the basketball all the time is KD. He can get his shots throughout the offense. But, you know, I think that, you know, you'll see spells with James Harden off of the court, KD, and – Kyrie on it, and you'll see Kyrie off the court, and you'll see James Harden with KD on the court. I think that's the only way, really, that it's going to be able to work. How do those dynamics play out in, like, a locker room? Because, I mean, on the court, 
you know, uh, I don't really have too many concerns as much, but obviously you have the situation with Kyrie coming back and, and you know, him apologizing to the, the fans and talking to his teammates. How, how do those sort of dynamics work when, when you're dealing with, with those caliber of players and those caliber, uh, you know, those big personalities in a locker room? Well, it works fine just as long as you're winning, you know, if it, but if, if it turns out into losses, then that's where – uh, the dilemma will take place. I think that those guys will all average 20-plus per game. As long as they're at that level, they don't think you have any any problem. And I think it's up to Steve Nash. If you go back to the days of the Chicago Bulls when Phil Jackson was able to manage the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, the Horace Grant. You know, it was about managing personalities. It wasn't, it wasn't managing really X's and O's because, you know, the guys, the guys would just flat-out play. So... It's up to Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni to to navigate this 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 wild river that they've now <laughs> inherited. And if they can if they can manage the personalities, then I think that they'll be fine. Hey, Kendall, when, when when you look at the situation with Kyrie and, and the mental health component, and you know you listen to him yesterday in his comments, and he's using words like overwhelming, and you know things are out of balance, and you know I need some time to kind of gather and clear my head. What concerns you with that from a professional basketball standpoint and, and you know, and, and with him and his teammates and with the organization, how they handled it and how he handled it with putting out the proper statements at the, uh, in, in due time? Like, what are your thoughts on, on, the, on the mental health component of that? Well, you know, I think that understandably players get over, overwhelmed in this league. It's not – a lot of people see the money that we make and, and uh, the television appearances, appearances and see on television and, and think that it's always a glamorous life. And, Kerry, you know this being a long-time veteran, that off of the court sometimes, you know, you, you deal with things, family members, uh, business things, and regular life that can affect you just like normal people. So, I, you know, I can understand where Kyrie could be overwhelmed. However, the, the difference is that when you and I played, though, we went back to the court like, you know, we, we took our frustrations and our, our challenges to the court when we were we embraced our teammates when things weren't going great. We were we took it out against our opponents. We didn't pull away and like take two weeks off to go on a sabbatical in the middle of a season. We just didn't handle it that way. And like for me, I was just more concerned, like, wow, this is really deep that this kid needs to pull away from his uh, what we call our sanctuary. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. You know what I was going to say, however, all that being said, still got to call your bosses and tell them what's going on. You still got to tell your teammates what's going on. You know, you cannot, you know, because listen, I, I can tell you a story. When I, I was, I was stock boy when I was 15 years old. You know, one day I wanted to, to go and play basketball and then go to work, so I didn't go to work. Guess what? They called me up the next day and fired me because I hadn't called anybody. So, you know, not saying that's going to happen to Kyrie, but, you know, that happens in, in the real world where you don't have a contract where you're making $400,000 a game. And, you know, Kyrie has to understand that, that he has to see this side as well. You know, the way that he handled it, I understand if he has some problems, okay, you need to take some time off, but you got to handle it in a professional manner. And, Kerry, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the – basketball court was our sanctuary you know that's where you go to to get away from things and it doesn't help that you post pictures on instagram showing you at different functions when you could easily be with the team 
Now, you know, that's, if I was Kyrie's mentor, I would tell him, you know, straight up, man, listen, you, you handled it the wrong way. I understand we need to get you healthy, but we got to handle it the right way too. Now, Kendall, uh, obviously people know you from your professional basketball career in the, the New Jersey Nets and 15-year career, but you, you also have dabbled a little bit professionally in a sport of a different kind and are really into to combat sports. I know you do the, the Parlay podcast on that. You know, where did that passion come from and just how advanced are you in the fight game? Well, I, you know, when we lived here on the south side of Chicago for the first 10 years of my life, you know, my parents sent me to day camp and they had boxing there. And, you know, I just loved the sport of boxing. That's what I wanted to be when I was a young kid. I was, you know, I wanted to be a boxer. But then we moved out to the suburbs when I was 10 years old. You know, the kids in the suburbs, they go to country clubs and play golf. They don't box. <laughs> so, actually, that's where I picked up basketball because I actually used to hate basketball. But then when I went out to the suburbs and started playing, I became, I became pretty good at it and it worked out for me. So, when I retired... I wanted to go and pursue my childhood dream, you know, and I, I had four professional fights. I, shoot, I've been training for 17 years now in it. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty advanced. You know, I've, I've called fights for premier boxing. The last fight I called was Manny Pacquiao versus Keith Thurman. And, you know, boxing is my first love. So, you know, I'm really into it. You know, I train at least three times a week at the, at the boxing gym. As a matter of fact, when I get off with you guys, that's where I'm going. You know, I, I've seen you calling out Jake Paul about that. What makes you want to fight fight Jake Paul so much? Is it because he, he's kind of, you know, made a, a mockery of the sport you love so much? Or is, is it, you know, you've seen something on YouTube, uh, just something about his face you find punchable? He destroyed Nate Robinson. <laughs> he's got one of the most punchable faces in the world, Robin. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Look, he hasn't, he hasn't made a mockery of the sport because he puts in the work. I mean, I've, I've watched him progress, you know, when he got in with Nate. Nate just didn't know what he was doing. He should have never got in there because this kid, Jake Paul, has been training for two years and Nate's going to train for eight weeks. You can't do that with the sweet science because it's a science behind it. I understand Nate is a great athlete and, you know, strong, fast and everything, but there's, there's levels to boxing. And Nate quickly found out, you know, what – he didn't find the answers, but, you know, he quickly found out that this is not a game. You know, I actually want, want to – fight Jake Paul because one, I want everybody to see my skills on a grand stage because when I first started, people were like, oh, he, you know, he can't box. This guy's coming from basketball, this and that. But they don't know. I've been doing this my whole life. And, you know, I study the sport relentlessly and I know it backwards and forwards. I want to, one, get revenge back from, from Nate Robinson, okay? Even though Nate asked for it because he, he did. He called Jake Paul out. He, and, and and to display my skills on the grand stage and and you know yeah I want to beat Jake Paul up because you know he's a cocky little dude you know and everything and actually I was just I was I was looking at Facebook uh, last night and his his trainer B J Flores was on there talking, and you know guy was saying well he should fight Kendall Gill he's like are you serious Kendall Gill is fifty three years old and he's got fifteen thousand followers Jake Jake Paul has fifteen million. I was like, dude, listen, yeah, not, first of all, I'm not 53, I'm 52, <laughs> okay? And second of all, if, if, if the fight happens, the whole NBA is going to be behind me, and all professional athletes, okay? 
So don't worry about the followers that I have. You know, if you if he does agree to the fight, it's going to be big, you know, and the storyline is already built in. You know, the NBA comes back to give revenge for what happened to Nate Robinson. I think I think that they're using the follower stuff just not to take the fight. You know, obviously he's not a scrub, as you mentioned. So uh, why are you, you so confident? Size advantage or just all the work you put in, like you mentioned before? Well, all the work that I put in, the size advantage, the mistakes that Big Paul makes, he, I mean – I've watched that the, the Nate Robinson fight almost a hundred times, and he makes so many mistakes that if Nate had any experience whatsoever, he would have knocked Jake Paul out. But because Jake Paul is front foot heavy, meaning that he puts all of his weight on his front feet, he can't get out of the way of a jab. He's he's when he when he jabs or or throws his right hand, he's totally off balance all the time. He gives you his head wide open on a silver platter, but, but Nate didn't know these things. You know, even even in the, when, when Nate clinched with him, he didn't, Nate didn't work in the clinch. You got to work his body in the clinch. And plus, you know, his, his reach is not longer than mine. So, you know, it actually, and, and, and he's a counterpuncher's dream. So, you know, hopefully he takes the fight. I know they think, oh, Kendall is old, this and that. They don't know, man. I'm in the gym six days a week. Kendall, there'll be a lot of people that put you on a chair like you're at a bar mitzvah if you can knock his ass out because he is just annoying. Uh, His YouTube videos, everything that's made him famous is just super annoying, that whole Paul family. So please punch him in the face for all of us, and you know I'll get you a steak dinner next time I'm in Chicago if you do so. I have a question. Don't worry, man. It's a dumb deal. It's a done deal that they agree to it. Yeah, I got you. And you're a guy who covered Michael Jordan a lot. That's that's a fight in its own. That's its own match going up against the GOAT. One, I'd love to hear about covering him in that dynamic. And also, you know, Rashawn McLeod told me once that he sat, he saw Jordan sing Anita Baker to Jerry Stackhouse while taking him to school in the court. Did MJ ever sing while while uh, he was while you were covering him? Did you ever sing sing Anita Baker no, and I, I, Luther no, Vandross? No, no, I can tell you a story though, and, 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 this, and this has something to do with Carrie too. So. We're playing the Bulls in the playoffs, right? And Kerry, I don't know, I don't know if you remember this, but Kerry had the ball on the right wing, and MJ stole it to him. And I wanted Kerry to throw me the basketball because I had Tony Kukoc on me. I could, I could have taken it. But what did Kerry decide to do? He decided to take Michael Jordan off the dribble, one of the greatest defensive players of all time. He steals it, right? <laughs> and he goes down. I try and run him down. You remember Kerry, right? Oh yeah, I remember. And I, and I, I try, I try to run him. I try and run him down, and he was three or four steps ahead of me. And it was on the last dance and everything. And everybody always teases me about this too. He dunked the basketball, and I fouled him, and all that stuff. And I had actually, I had actually did a spin move and dunked on Michael earlier in the game, like in the first quarter. So after he dunked the basketball, he goes to the free throw line. And he goes, "Hey KG, payback is a bitch, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, 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 Kendall, what's your, what were your thoughts when watching The Last Dance? I mean, I, I didn't play against Michael as long as you did, but, I, you know, I played against that 70-win team, and, you know, we, we were out there against them competing. And I, I had my feelings about, about the film itself and how, and how it was portrayed. But what were your thoughts when you watched the team, and, and, and in particular, like how they portrayed Scotty and – in, in, in that film, what were your thoughts on that? Well, well, I, I love the documentary. I think I think it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. I mean, you know, even during the, the pandemic, it was must see TV. I mean, my family and I, we were sitting sitting in front of the TV uh, every Sunday to watch it. You know, some of the portrayals were, you know, the portrayal of Scotty sometimes I, I felt sometimes was unfair. But 
it was musty TV because they got into things like when, when Michael said, oh, that was Horace who was spreading the rumors about, you know, the, the book that they wrote, you know, telling Sam Smith and all this, because we, we never knew these things. And also, the most intriguing thing I, I got out of it is that in the end, I never knew that it was Phil Jackson that broke everything up. Because Phil, in the end, decided he just didn't want to go back. I, I, I understand that. I, I, I thought that they just didn't really show the brilliance of Michael Jordan as a player. I mean, I, I thought that they probably could have did better with interviewing other great players who played against them just to get their take on it. I mean, I would have loved to have heard John Starks' remarks about playing, competing against Jordan. I mean, we heard from Reggie Miller and, and a couple others. But I would have loved to hear from Clyde Drexler, right? I mean, he was talking about that matchup, you know, when they were going to the, the dream team and things like that, who was number one, you know, guard in the league. I just felt like they didn't really show how great he was, especially during clutch moments as a player. Yeah, and, and you know, Kerry, from guarding him, he was just fundamentally sound. He was a freak of an athlete. He was a freak of a competitor. And he just absolutely had no weaknesses. And, and that's what it was like playing against him. And then you throw in the triangle offense. Kerry, you know how hard it was to guard that triangle offense because it was like trying to punch Floyd Mayweather. You don't, you don't, you don't see any opening, so you can't game plan against it. So they are waiting for you to set up before they do what they do. And that's why you couldn't game plan against it. Now you take one of the three greatest players of all time and, and, and Rodman, Pippen, and Jordan and put them in that system. And, you know, they'll spice you up, you know, because there was many times where we had them on the ropes, but they went right back to their fundamentals, to, to the triangle offense, and got themselves out of trouble. And But, you know, look, it was, it was a joy to play against them. I'm glad that we got a chance to face them in the playoffs. And it's just something I'll never forget. So you never saw him sing to anyone. You can confirm that Michael Jordan didn't sing to any defenders, Kendall. No, no, not at all. I mean, and, and, and to be fair, if they missed anything, it's his fault, right? It was like the Michael Jordan story presented by Michael Jordan. <laughs> was, yeah, right. look, look at how competitive Michael Jordan is. He could beat you with the, the stairs of his eyes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether he could beat you with the stairs of his eyes. But I mean, you know, but, but listen, Kerry competed against him. I competed against him. The thing is about Michael, the thing you cannot do is suffer the Mike Tyson effect. You guys know how Mike Tyson used to have his opponents beat before they even got into the ring or to the stadium. That's what type of effect Michael Jordan had. But, you know, going into that series, we didn't have that. You know, we we actually almost pulled game one off and almost pulled game two off. But fortunately, they, they, they just had more firepower than well, now we've got another Nets team that, that's hoping to get a championship. Uh, Kendall Gill, Nets swingman, 1996-2001, current NBC Sports Chicago Bulls analyst and a master of the fight game, host of the Parlay podcast. You can follow him uh, at Kendall, Kendall G 13 on Twitter and at official Kendall Gill on Instagram. Kendall, really appreciate the time today, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. That wraps up episode five, the Jason Kidd edition of Full Court on Flatbush. Carrie knows a little something about Jason Kidd. Our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Alex Camarada for producing the show. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review, won't you? We appreciate your continued support. For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We'll return next Wednesday. Thanks for listening. And as always, folks, stay safe.